turn to two passages of Scripture, 2 Kings 7 and Acts 2. 2 Kings 7 and Acts 2. Everyone say 2 Kings 7 and Acts chapter 2. We began last Sunday. In fact, last Sunday, I only got one point. And so I decided to take one sermon that I developed for last Sunday and turn it into a series because I only got to the first point. And I'm just telling you, last Sunday, we had some breakthrough last Sunday. I'm telling you, if you missed last Sunday, I won't point point you out, but I will. I've got good news for you. That message is recorded. It is in our archives. You can get it on iTunes. Defining moments, a milestone or a millstone. And defining moments can be that. They can either be a milestone that moves you to a whole new level, or they can be a tombstone in your life. Uh, if you react wrongly, they can become a tombstone in your life. Or if you respond rightly, they can become a milestone where you look and say, man, look what God has done uh, in our life. So defining moments. And so if you're at Second Kings 7 and Acts 2, you did good. Let me give you a little uh, definition. It's a crit- This is Pastor Sam. I didn't get this out of Webster's. I just make up definitions for things I want to talk about. And here it is. It's a, a defining moment, a, cri- a critical pressure point moment in our history or in our lives that defines us based upon how we react or how we respond. How many of you can agree with that? I mean, uh, they, they define us. And Second Kings 7, we're going to look at two uh, groupings of people, one person, then a group of lepers. One responded rightly, one group responded rightly, and one respo- responded or reacted, pardon me, incorrectly. And the reason that uh, uh, we're looking at this is because Church on the Rock North is literally, we're in a defining moment. Did you know at the end of this, of August, we'll be 20 years old as a church? That's pretty amazing. 20 years. Uh, and uh, it seems like a moment. I mean, think about it. When we came here 19 years ago, Laura, how old were you when we came? What? She was 12 years old. And now she's, I won't add that all up, Okay, and has three beautiful children, two of which just celebrated birthdays. Uh, and so, man, a lot has changed and a lot has happened in the last 20 years. But we're at a defining moment. And here's the defining moment. We're at a place as a church family where we cannot stay where we are. We can't just go as, uh, and let me just say, I've been, uh, I've been saying this over and over. And, and I think some people are looking at me like a calf star- stares at a new gate. Okay, a critical pressure point moment in the history of Church on the Rock North that defines us based upon how we react or how we respond. So here we are. We're not at, we're not at a place where we can back up and, and, and kick it in neutral at all. We're not at a place where we can stay where we are. We, we are at a critical press forward moment. And, and I can't help it. It's just where we are. And, and well, I'm trying to help it. Hallelujah. Uh, but, uh, listen, do you understand the word critical? Okay, so on August, the end of August, at our 20-year anniversary, how we react or respond as a church family determines our history in the future. And I believe our future is bright. 
But if we respond rightly, I believe it'll be our press forward moment. But if we react incorrectly or if we just sit here until we die, then we will do exactly that. And so with that in mind, uh, let's just move forward. How we react or respond determines the outcome of our life. Will it become a millstone uh, in our life or a tombstone uh, or pardon me, a milestone or a tombstone? Uh, And so they have the power. These defining moments have the power to discourage and defeat us or develop and determine us. So 2 Kings 7, I'll tell you the story very quickly because we looked at it last week. Uh, Syria has besieged Samaria. And it was so bad that in Samaria, women were bartering together on whose child they would eat first. How many of you know when you revert to Canada, when you finally get to your lowest form of, of, of survival and your and your devouring your very own to stay alive, that's that's a defining moment. That's a bad place. I don't know of any of us who have ever been at that place. They were at a critical moment. And the prophet Elisha comes along in chapter 7, verse 1, and he says, hear the word of the Lord. Everybody say that just like I did. Come on, hear Everybody go, hear the word of the Lord. Are you with me? Let's do it. And he says this. He says, tomorrow, this is my translation, a loaf of bread will sell at its normal price. In other words, tomorrow, all this famine, in fact, it was so bad. Everybody say, yeah, I said it was so bad that a a little bitty bit of dove's droppings, and I'll make up a number, sold for a hundred dollars. That's. That's pretty bad. I mean, it was bad. How bad was it? It was bad. And so the prophet comes along and says, hear the word of the Lord. Tomorrow, all this will be over. Everything will be back to normal. Loaf of bread will sell for a dollar, whatever it normally sold for. And and there was an officer of the king who said, you know what? Uh, he, He heard that and he said, if God opened up heaven and just started pouring out from heaven, it couldn't happen that way. And Elisha said, you know what? You'll see it, but you'll not partake of it. Long story short, there were four lepers. Everybody say four lepers. Now, how many of you know leprosy knows no boundaries? It's not a social issue. It's not an economic issue. It's not, you know, uh, it's, hey, it, it could affect a, and so we have four lepers. We have no way of knowing their social background, their economic background, their educational background. They had something in common. They were all lepers. And because of that, they were outside the city. And so they'd been put outside the city. Now remember the city's besieged. And so they're kind of outside. Everybody else is inside. And then uh, the, the Syrians are all about them. And so these lepers, they get to talking with one another and they begin to think about one another. Now, let me go back to the officer. He reacted wrongly. In the middle of his defining moment, he spoke out a bad, it ain't happening, it can't happen. The end of the story was, he saw God do a great miracle, but in the, in the trample towards the blessing, he died. He was ensnared by the words of his mouth. Now here's these four lepers. In the middle of all this, they are, they're looking at each other and say, we're lepers. You know, fist bump, boom. Hey, we got something in common, we're lepers. And they're looking at their situation and they say, you know what? We can't just sit here. And this is a defining moment for us. This is my translation to bring it into the context. 
We can't just sit here till we die. Why are we going to sit here till we die? They're not going to let us back in. And even if they did let us back in, there's no food there. If we sit here, we die. If we go back in there, we die. Why don't we get up and head towards the Samaria, uh, the, the Syrians? You know, they may take us prisoners. We don't know what they're going to do, but we cannot sit here any longer until we die. We've got to get up and do something. Somebody say, get up and do something. We can't sit around and just expect to do the same old thing over and over and expect a different result. We got to get up and do something. And they got up and went towards the Syrians and a miracle had happened. God had confounded and confused the Syrians. They thought a massive army was coming upon them. They left all their blessing, all their, all their goods, everything that they had and they fled and their, their camp was completely empty and the, and the lepers were going, whoo, this is great. They were filling in their pockets. They were, you know, I can just see one of them with a Syrian wheelbarrow. He's, and he's taking, they're hiding it. About the second trip, they get to realizing something because they're lepers, you see. And, and according to, to, to the Bible, leprosy was considered judgment from God. In other words, consequences for wrong choices. You know, they're Miriam and others to give that example. And so they understood the consequence issue of what you sow, you reap, or if you do this, you get that. And so they realize they get convicted in their hearts and they said, what we're doing is not right. Keeping all this for ourselves is not right. And they went back to the city and they said, you're not going to believe this. The Syrians have fled. It's all ours. They still didn't believe. They sent out a, ambassadors out and they, they realized it's true. And all the city, all the people inside the city ran out and the prophecy that Elisha spoke came true. The next day, a loaf of bread sold for its normal price. The officer who reacted wrongly died in the trap. Listen, how you respond or react determines your destiny. Do you realize that? And so this is where we're at. This is what we're using as our illustration during this defining moment. And last week, we gave you this first point of learning to respond rightly. The first thing we said last week was you got to learn to respond with a strong confession of faith. We learned our confession determines our conclusion. How many of you know you can determine the conclusion of your life? You say, well, I don't know the future. Uh, but listen, you understand something. Our confession plays a huge part in determining our conclusion. And that happened with the officer. The officer said it couldn't happen if God opened the windows of heaven. He just spoke it out and he was ensnared by the words of his mouth. But hey, on the other hand, listen, I understand something about where you are. It doesn't matter how impossible it looks. I'm going to preach a minute right here on this. It doesn't matter how uh, impossible it looks. If you will get the word of the Lord. Listen, when God begins to speak, all you got to do is agree with the word of the Lord. You don't have to make something up. You don't have to fake it till you make it. You get the word of the Lord and you stand on the word of the Lord and say, so be it in my life, according to your word, Lord. And don't go spouting off all this negative defeatist It'll never happen. I'm a worm. I'm toe jam or whatever you've been saying about yourself. You need to step up to the plate and get the word of the Lord in your life and say, God is for me, not against me. And God is for church on the rock north. He's not against church on the rock north. How many of you know he's the builder of the church? Amen. We're about to be 20 for goodness sakes. If he didn't want us to be around, he could have, he could have killed us off a long time ago. 
But I believe God wants to bless us. He wants to help us. I believe he gave us this facility, not just to have it just barely used, but to be filled with people who are searching after God, with families who need to turn around, with lost people who need to be saved, with teenagers who are messed up, who can get, get right with God and get their head on straight, with daddies who can learn how to be good fathers, with mothers who can learn how to be good mothers, with husbands who can learn how to be good husbands and wives. You get the picture. That's what I believe God put us here for, to make a huge difference. We're called to gather. We're called to grow. We're called to give, and we're called to go. We've got a vision and a purpose, and I believe God's going to help us fulfill it. Somebody say amen. And so we learned that if we're going to cause our defining moment to be a milestone instead of a tombstone, we've got to learn how to speak the word of the Lord over our life and over our family. You see, some of you don't know how to do that very well. You've been trained otherwise. You've had people in your life who, who spoke negative, defeated, unhealthy, unholy words over your life and over your family and over your future. And you've got to break that thing. How many of you know we've got to reverse the curse? You see, you can reverse it. And you can begin to turn that thing around. And so that was last Sunday. I encourage you to get a hold of that tape. Now this morning, a tape. There's no such things as tapes anymore. To how old I am. You can get the tape. <laughs> can we edit that out somehow? That... Okay. And this morning, number two. This really is, this is just a, a, a hopefully a breakthrough thought for your life. I don't have a big outline here. But number two, if we're going to learn to respond rightly in the midst of our defining moments and cause our defining moments to be milestones rather than tombstones, we've got to learn to respond with a strong connection of unity. Say that with me. Respond with a strong connection of unity. Everyone say unity. What are we celebrating today? The 4th of July. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that defines this point any better than July 4th, 1776. Because in July 4th, 1776, our founding fathers in the 13 original states penned by Thomas Jefferson and signed by them the Declaration of Independence. They signed on the dotted line. They put their, as you've heard now, your John Han, their John Hancock. That means their signature. And, and it's interesting to me, uh, uh, what, uh, gosh, do you know the handwritten version, which we all see the pictures of the handwritten version? The title above the Declaration of Independence is this, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. Everyone say unanimous. These guys were in it together. They signed their names on the dotted line together. And the, in fact, the last line says this, we, we commit, uh, we pledge our lives. And some of them lost their lives. We pledge our lives, our fortunes, and most of them lost their fortunes, and our sacred honor. We're in it for keeps. We're in it to win it. 
We're in this thing together. It is the unanimous declaration of these 13 united, that's, somebody say united, united states of America. Man, I'm telling you today, we stand on the shoulders of the forefathers of our faith who laid it all on the line and were willing to pay whatever kind of price they needed to pay. They were in it together. They were different people from different backgrounds. They had different uh, economic scenarios and, and, and social scenarios scenarios, but they came together. You know, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the 13 United States of America said, we're in this for keeps. And the fathers, forefathers of our faith said, we pledge our lives. We pledge our money. Come on now. That's what fortunes mean. Our money and our sacred honor. We're in this thing and we're going to stand strong in this thing. We are the United States of America. Somebody say amen. I love that. Now, let's go back to 2 Kings 7. Four lepers. Let's look what it says about them. Four lepers. Verse 3 through 5 in chapter 7. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, in other words, they're talking about this. They're coming together on something. Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we, we die also. Now therefore come and let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, then we shall die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, pardon me, to their surprise, no one was there. Let me just tell you what that's a picture of. They came together under a common cause. The common cause were lepers. We're in this together. There was, no dif- there was no bickering and backbiting among the lepers. It's your problem. You gave this to me. I, you, you know. They came together. They did it together. They began to talk together. And they, ca- they got in unity together. There was some common union among them. What was their commonality? They were lepers. And as lepers, they came together to, to see if God or might do something for them. But one thing, they came together and realized, if we sit here together, we'll die together. They got unified. They had a spirit of unity in there and they responded together. You know, our fellowship determines our future. Did you know that? Who we fellowship with, who we interact with, who we come into union and communion together with determines our future. If you're hanging around the turkeys, that determines your future. Are you with me? You've heard, you know that's true. If you're hanging, if you want to soar with the eagles, why are you hanging around the turkeys? You've heard that, right? It's true. How many of you know it's true? You hang around people who are depressed and sad and sick and whining and moaning and complaining. Guess what? Before long, you'll try to one up them on a complaint. You ever heard anybody do that? You say, man, it's, boy, I've had a rough day. Yeah, that ain't nothing. Let me tell you about mine. Our fellowship determines our future. Let me just stop and say to you, some of us fellowship with people and things that are detrimental to the purpose of God over our life. And they're de- and, and they will hinder 
God's blessing upon us in the middle of a defining moment. And so our fellowship determines our future. We need to understand that. Our friends help determine our finish line. If we've got friends who are dragging that, I'll put that in quotes. If you've got friends who are dragging you down and keeping you from God's purpose and plan for your life or keeping you from being a righteous, holy uh, 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 man or woman of God, listen, we need, to, we need to love everybody but be friendly with fewer people and find the kind of friends that spur us on and, and help us grow spiritually and help us uh, live righteously and help us fulfill this and come together in unity with somebody who can help, we can help, we're better together. Tell somebody, we're better together. We really are. And if we're going to turn our defining moment into a milestone and ra- rather than a tombstone, we got to find the right kind of people and begin to hang out rightly together. Listen, defining moments can either divide and conquer or unite and enable. Did you catch that? Now, listen. When you get into a pressure point, one of the first things that can happen if you start reacting wrongly is division and, uh, and, 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 and trouble and trauma and, and everybody pointing fingers. These lepers didn't do that. They just said, you know, we're in this together. We're better together. We're just lepers, but we're still better together. And they came together and they began to discuss together and together they made a decision and together they moved forward. Uh, and, and even if it sounds a little, de- hey, they said, well, we'll just surrender to the enemy. If they kill us, we're going to die anyway. Well, I sit here till we die. And because four lepers came together and, and, and moved towards the enemy, God did a miracle. And the whole city was saved. Are you with me? Other than the officer who was ensnared by the words of his mouth. Everybody say, we're better together. Now, think about the first century church. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts, because they're a, they're a, they're a wonderful and, and marvelous model for all of us as we look to the future as a church family and we realize we need one another and that we're better together. Everybody say, we're better together. Look what it says about the first century church. And, and listen, they were in the middle of a defining moment. You need to understand this. In fact, before Jesus was crucified, they were in the middle of a defining moment. When Jesus rose from the dead, they were in the middle of a defining moment. And then Jesus, 40 days after he rose from the dead, he left them. He said, I want you to go to work now. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you. But it's your turn now. It's your responsibility. It was a defining moment. Were they going to react wrongly or respond rightly? And so in Acts, we find that they responded rightly. And it says in Acts 1.14... These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Listen, they were responding rightly. They realized that they were better together. In the middle of their defining moment, they came together in unity and began to pray. That's what Let Us Pray was all about. You understand that? When we, when we did Let Us Pray last month, it was about coming together, being better together, praying together, coming together in unity praying over our church family praying for a renewed commitment to gather a renewed commitment to grow a renewed commitment to give and a renewed commitment to go we prayed together and it's it's the purpose of God for us as a church to come together this first century church did that look what it says in Acts chapter 2 it says when the day of Pentecost had fully come they were all with one accord in one place they were gathering together 
And they were in unity together. And suddenly there came the sound from heaven and a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were together and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and the church was born. Amen. But quickly in Acts chapter 3, the defining moment came. The pressure, as we've talked about, came. And they were threatened to speak no more in the name of Jesus. And they came together. In fact, Peter gets up and preaches in Acts chapter 2. And he preaches and thousands of people are born again. Now I want you to see something right here in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. Then those who were who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Somebody say amen. Now catch verse 42. If you're still with me, say I'm with you, Pastor. Look at verse 42 because we're talking about coming together in a strong connection of unity. Now look at this. It says in verse 2, and this is the new fledgling church, these thousands of people, and they continued steadfastly. Somebody say continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and fellowship, say fellowship. And in the breaking of bread, some people believe that's a reference to communion. I really don't know. It's all good. And then in prayers, they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' teaching and doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. They came together in unity. They gathered together steadfastly in fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. That word fellowship, the Greek there, as you've heard me say before, is koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. It's where we get the word communion. Follow with me. Koinonia, communion. In fact, the last verse of 2 Corinthians says this. Uh, may the love of God, uh, the fellowship of the... Uh, uh, may the, the peace of God, the love of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Spirit... The koinonia of the Spirit be with you always. The communion of the Spirit be with all with you always. It's the same word. This church family, listen to me carefully, they continued steadfastly in fellowship and communion together. They stayed together in right heart, like mind, like spirit. And, and, and together, God, they were better together. Everybody said they were better together. And because of that, look in verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so I came to tell you today that if we're going to respond rightly during a pressure point, during a defining moment, we've got to learn to come together with a strong connection of unity. We've got to come together and realize we're in this together. We can't be off doing our thing and expect God to do His thing. We've got to be in this thing together. The church is a, a living organism. It's the body of Christ. And if the body of Christ is divided and, and broken and, and uncommitted and unconnected, uh, we'll never fulfill God's purpose for our life. I came to tell you today that we need one another. I need you. You need me. Together we're better and together we can do something dynamic for God. But if we respond or we react incorrectly, we say, I don't know about that. And let me just tell you something. Could I t could I, can we talk for a second? Across the board in America, listen, we need to understand this, the fellowship of God and the fact that, listen, that we're called together, it's under attack. 
The fellowship of the saints is under attack in America. There isn't a direct, you know, we're all worked up and we should be over the, the, the terrorist attack on the world and upon Christianity and upon Americans. But let me say something, the church is under attack. And so far, the spirit of the Antichrist is winning by and large when it comes to this idea and this understanding of fellowship. They continued steadfastly. It means, listen, continued steadfastly means this. It means to be earnestly diligent towards. And let me tell you something. In America today, church folk are no longer earnestly diligent towards attending church. The stats are out. The proof is here. Listen carefully. I've told you this a hundred times. Listen, you need to understand it. We're not the only folks that, 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 that that are in a defining moment. The church in America is in a defining moment. Listen to me. I'm going to tell it to you again. And, and if you don't believe me, you can just go study it for yourself. In the 1980s, across the board in evangelical churches in America, the uh, evangelical pastors could expect on any given Sunday that about 80% of their people would be there on any given Sunday. They knew when they got up to preach in the 80s that when I preach, I'm talking to at least 80% of the people and the other 20 were, you know, either sick at home or uh, stayed at home to wipe their kids' nose or all those things. And the, but they knew that on any given Sunday, they were going to be able to communicate to 80% of their people. That was, that was the 80s. Today, it's less than 50%. Are you with me? You see, this continued steadfastly is going down the tubes in a hurry. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you're here, but we've got to together turn this thing around. We've got to, we've got to come to the place where we realize, hey, church is important to God. He's the builder of the church. He's the head of the church. Church ought to be important to me. And listen, understand. Oh, come on. Let me tell you something today. Listen, the, it's great to have friends in all different places, but listen, all of us need a local church where we identify with, where we call this our church family, this our church home, this is where we're connected, this is where we grow together, this is where we give together, this is where we go together, this is our church family. And I know people say, well, I've got a church family all over the place. What happens is commitment gets watered down rather than, than established further. And the church is losing in this category. I just have to tell you that. And you say, well, pastor, what do we do? We've got to come together. We can't let this keep going the way it is. Listen, we can't expect the same old, do the same old, same old and expect a different result. We've got to come to a place where we're praying together. We're asking God to do something dynamic together and just rebuke this spirit of the Antichrist and refuse to let it into our life. Oh, and there's all kinds of great reasons why we don't connect with one another. I'm just not a people person. I just, uh, in fact, uh, I had a guy stop. I, I was out working in the churchyard and this guy stopped. Never met him before. He was a retired guy. Actually was asking me about my lawnmower. I, I had mowed a little for our Wednesday night uh, gathering out there and I, he was asking me about lawn, lawnmower. I figured this guy wants to talk about lawnmowers. I'm going to talk about church. And I started, at, I said, do you go to church anywhere? He said, oh, no, no. I said, well, do you live close? Well, yeah. I said, but he said, we're just not, we're just not people persons. 
I said, you pulled up, talked to a total stranger about a lawnmower? I didn't say this. I wanted to. You, talk, you, you pulled up, wanted to talk to me about my lawnmower? And you tell me you're not a people person? Somebody needs to give you an adjustment. He said, we're not people. We just got our kids, our grandkids. I said, okay. But if you ever choose to not, to, to, to be a people person, we would love for you to come and be here. But listen, let me tell you something. In this room right here, with the people that are right here, I'm not talking about this guy. Who, I'm, I'm talking about right here. There are people right here. When I start talking about Sunday circles at 930 and gather around a, circ, a group of people, something inside you going, I just don't feel comfortable. Aren't you glad Jesus was a people person? Aren't you glad Jesus was willing to get in your boat? Jesus got in the disciples' boat. And he got in their boat, and as a result, their lives changed. Listen, we need to get let Jesus in our boat. And let me tell you something. When Jesus gets in your boat, he doesn't want to just hang out with you in your boat. He wants to get in your boat, and then you realize, hey, there's more people can get in our boat. It's all one big boat. We're the family of faith, for goodness sake. We're not scared of one another. We're not afraid of one another. We love one another. Jesus loves me. I love people. I'm a people person, for goodness sakes. And I'm coming to Sunday circles, glory to God. Woo! And I might actually talk when they, when others talk. I mean, I'm, we, I might actually participate. Now, I'm being a little facetious here, but to make a point. Whatever it is that's keeping you from connecting with the family of faith in a very real way of unity, coordinated unity together, it is of the devil. Can I say that again? Well, my job keeps me from church. Well, let me just tell you, that may or may not be the case, but let me tell you something. There's creative ways around all those things. I have people on Wednesday night, they walk in with their work clothes on. Look like they've been beat up by the devil all day, but they make it to church on Wednesday night. I get brownie star, got, got brownie star. Listen. We've got to respond rightly and realize, especially as Hebrews said, as you see that day approaching, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We've got to come together. Now here's my big question. And I'm going to close. Here's a, and it's a big question. A lot of words there. Can you read it? Can you see it? I want you just to read it by yourself for a moment. Ask yourself that. This is my big question. This is all I want to talk about. Where are the men and women of intestinal fortitude and spiritual backbone who will come together as the church and sign their John Hancock on the dotted line and pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to the corporate cause of bringing freedom to those who are bound by the slavery of sin and death? I want to know where those people are. 
Because that's what we need in this defining moment. People who say, hey, whatever it costs, I'll pay it. If it costs me my life, I'll pay it. Uh, whatever I have to give up, I'll pay it. Whatever it takes, I'll pay it. My sacred honor, I pledge my life, my fortune, my sacred honor, because this is why I'm here. I'm not here to sit soaking sour. This church is here to make a difference for the glory of God. We're not here to just get our needs met and somebody to put, kind of touch our little spiritual, you know, make us whoo, feel a little better so we can go out and let the devil chew on us a little more. God's looking for a church that is victorious, who will stand up in the face of adversity and say, I will not deny God. I will not be divided in my church. I'm coming together in this defining moment and we're better together. Many hands make a light load. I'm not just going to come enjoy the fun of Adventure Kingdom. I'm going to get behind the scenes and I'm going to work, sweat and, 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 and be a part and do my part. And we're going to come together and God's going to do something great in our lives. I asked myself that question about me in this defining moment. I have to tell you today that whatever it costs, whatever it takes, my wife and I, number one, what else are we going to do? What else do we do? We're all in. Amen. That's my question today. And that's my question to each of you. In this defining moment where we're embracing this fresh vision for the next 10 years, the fresh vision for the next 10 years for our church, we're called to gather. That means come together. That's what we do. We find the first century church came together. These four lepers came together. They had their own kind of church. They got together and had a business meeting. And they said, you know what? We can't sit here till we die. We don't have any resources. We don't have any hope. We don't have anything. But we can't sit here. We know if we sit here, we're going to die. If we go back in the city, they're not going to let us in. If they did, we'd still die. We're going to do something that has some possibility of moving us forward and not backward. The first century church came together. And they were strongly committed. It says they continued steadfastly in fellowship. Lord help us. Somebody say, Lord help us. My question is, and I want to, I'm going to read a psalm to you, and we're going to pray. Psalm 133. I'm going to end on a good note. Psalm 133 is the blessings of a unified family. And I want to ask us a couple questions and I'm going to read this. It says, well, let me read it. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Where did he command it? When the brethren come together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. That's where God starts commanding blessings over our life. You know what I'm hunting for from heaven? 
for heaven to begin to command blessings on us because we're better together because we're in this thing together how we react or how we respond let me ask you these personal questions how will history define you well I don't know if anybody will even remember me to know enough to define me they should let me make it more personal when you're gone from here how will your sons and daughters define you Let me tell you how they'll define you. They'll define you based upon how you reacted or responded during the hard places of life. Are you with me? If you are a reactionary and you let fear and doubt and doubt like this uh, officer did, today he's defined by his lack of faith and his premature demise because of his lack of faith. And here's a question we ought to ask. How will heaven's history books record the history of Church on the Rock North? How will heaven define us? Because we're here today. You say, well, it's not not my fault, but yeah, we're here together. How many of you know sometimes Things happen and it's not our fault, but we got to help fix the problem and turn the thing around and together we can do it. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. I'm looking for heaven's commanded blessing over my life and over my family. We got to learn to grow together. Gather together, grow together, give together, and go together. Amen. Let's stand up together. Look around, somebody. And I'm not, hey, we may have guests here. I I don't want to put you in a precarious or uncomfortable spot, but, you know, fist bump, do something, look at somebody and just tell them, you know, we're better together. We're in this together. You can hug, you can high-five, but you can fist bump. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray that God would help us become connected with a strong connection of unity together during this defining moment to move us forward instead of backwards. Listen, let me just say this to you today. Let me tell you right now, on the, most, on, on the simplest plane, your presence here next Sunday is hugely important. Just showing up, it's hugely important. People, if you realize how important it was for you, us just to show up, everybody say show up. If we show up, God will show out. Listen. It's hugely important. That's where it begins. This coming together, gathering together, committed together, growing together. We're better together. Let's pray together. Father, as we are standing in this place together, Lord, as the first century church in Acts chapter 4, when they were under the pressure point, the threat of religiosity in their life to speak no more in the name of Jesus, we pray together and we say we will not be denied the future and the destiny that you have for us. We will not let 
the satanic influences of the devil, the spirit of the Antichrist undermine our continuing steadfastly together for your kingdom purpose. And together we commit together that we will continue steadfastly, not only in the apostles' doctrine, and not only in the breaking of bread, but in the fellowship of the saints. We'll come together and we'll gather. We'll worship and we'll pray and we'll learn and we'll grow. We'll give and we'll go. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Everybody say, we're better together.